Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. This relies on high volumes of responses, okay? Now, you see, I don't like the word high, okay? I'd rather say it should be the right volume of responses. What would be interesting from understanding inflation and how it affects customer behavior is we could then take that data and then go and look at actual inflation data. It may be that inflation is less severe in the UK. It may be, though, that just Americans are reacting to it differently than people in the UK are. Maybe you can title the, the episode that, Extra Pickles. <laughs> extra Pickles, yeah. The Intuitive Customer, now with Extra Pickles. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, You should be a marketing professor, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I should not be a video podcaster. Ryan, wave to everybody. We're actually on video. How about this? Look, we have some innovation, people. We've decided that we would play about with doing a video. You can hear the normal audio, or you can also jump online and we'll put a link in the show notes to where you can see us do this podcast. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about understanding what customers want and customer value, and this is an example of us doing exactly the opposite of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there was anyone in the world asking for, for more of what we look like, but we're, we're going to shove that down your throat. We're giving that to you. I, I've got to tell you, mate, there were some people that said that they didn't want us to do this and they would pay us money not to do this. Oh, I like this. This is like a hostage negotiation situation. We will continue to post videos of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> unless somebody pays us. Yeah, yeah so, uh, so this is an experiment for us. If you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, let us know. Um, <laughs> so, um, because it would be interesting to see where, where we take this, if anywhere, to be totally honest with you. I have to say both Ryan and I prefer not to have to think about what the colour of our, the backgrounds are and stuff like that. And yes. um, pyjama manufacturers are also getting worried in case that this <laughs> catches on. <laughs> We have uh, two pickles for you today. We've got uh, two pickles. We don't think um, they're going to take up the entire, or one pickle will take up the entire show. So we're going to, let's just jump straight into the, the first pickle. And this is from Jane. And Jane says, in August 2021, you did a podcast about increasing email response rates. It was actually a very popular one, actually, Jane. And I was keen to learn from this. However, I realized that my issue is not quite the same. We're implementing a voice of the customer program on a customer platform in a large, and they're a large B2B organization. And the quality of the insights and the ability to view this in, these insights at a granular level. So they're digging down into department or depots and sales regions, but they're relying on sort of large volumes to be able to get the data to, to, to be able to analyze it, yeah? And it's great, actually, because people can now see me using my hands and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no way that you waving your hands about like a crazy person is going to make you seem <laughs> less credible to our audience. This is definitely a good idea. Yeah, I, it is, yeah. 
In order to get buy-in from colleagues to use the insights and in order to identify critical improvements, the data needs to be robust and at a local level, right? So here's the nub of the question. How would we go about increasing the response rates on surveys sent through email to busy customers? So effectively, how do they get busy customers to complete emails? So Jane, thank you for that. We're also going to take you up on your other or the other part of the question which you're implying here, which is also about buy-in because that's critical as well. So yeah, getting high volume rates and responses is good, but getting people to buy in is is key as well. Yeah, two parts to that one. I would even step back though before we start to address the specific question and point out that this is a pretty common scenario. So, so Jane laid out a lot of information about why this new system is really good for the company. You know, they're going to get all this new insight, going to get all this granular data, to be able to make better decisions. And then now they're facing this problem of, well, but how can we get our customer on board with it? And I think that that type of initiative is, is not that uncommon, where companies say, hey, we're going we're gonna to manufacture this new product, or we're going to start this new, new system, or we're going to implement this new program, and it's going to be great for us. Now, how do we get our customers on board? I'm glad that Jane recognized we do need both parts of that. It's not enough for it to be good for us. We need to, to kind of be in the intersection of that Venn diagram where our customers are also getting something out of it. Yeah. We want them to be on board. And that actually reminds me of a podcast we did a little while ago, uh, which was around the five rules of customer research. And you remember we did it with one of the researchers from a test. And one of the things that they said was, which I thought was very true that not many people think about, is think about the respondees. Because with the greatest respect, Jane, you can spend as much money as you want on a large customer platform that pulls in this information. If you haven't considered your customer's experience filling that out, then you're wasting your time, basically, because you're not going to get the responses. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got some ideas on the increasing response rates. I'm sure you've got some thoughts too. And I know you've got some thoughts on the on the buy-in. Let's give Jane something useful here. Theoretically, from kind of the, the broadest perspective possible here, we're talking about persuasion, which means we're, we're wanting to motivate people. So Think about this in terms of what would motivate your customers, like what is in it for them. The bluntest tool you have is, is just monetary motivation. So you can pay people to respond to these surveys. There are a number of downsides to that, but I do want to put it out there. Like if you were an economist, that would be your primary hammer that you would use to motivate anyone to do anything is, well, let's just pay them. Sure. And it may be, may be something that's practical here. If that data is valuable enough to you, if you can put a dollar value on that and say, this is how much extra money we think we can make by making better decisions in this way, then it might make sense for you to give some of that value back to those customers who do provide you with that data. But we shouldn't limit our thinking to that. So there are other types of motivations that we can use to, to get people on board with this. Uh, one might be information value. So there are a number of research organizations that get particularly B2B clients to respond to surveys by promising them some portion of the data back. So if you respond to this survey, then we're going to collect it from you and from a bunch of your competitors in this industry. And then we're going to wash that data. We're going to like anonymize it so that we're not giving away any trade secrets. But then we're going to give that back to everybody who 
contributed. And so there, there might be some version of what you're collecting, Jane, that could be of value to people in who are among your client base. So you could say, you know, if you participate in this, then we will give you quarterly reports on the data that we're collecting across your industry or across. Now, again, this depends on the, the types of data you're collecting. It might be that your clients have zero interest in finding any of this stuff back, right? But it's also possible that you are generating insights that could be competitively useful to them. So that, sure. that would be another source of motivation. A third might be a community motivation. So it could be that by participating in this, they can now become a part of a, a community that is all actively working towards some aim, right? So now maybe all of your clients and everybody else who's willing to participate in this kind of research is now part of an information sharing community where they can now talk to each other and solve problems. This is especially useful if you have clients that span different industries, so they're not head-to-head competitors, right? But think about this from a motivation standpoint. So what would be valuable to your customers, the ones that you're trying to get to change their behavior? What can you offer them that would persuade them? It could be monetary, it could be informational, it could be community-oriented, it could be something else entirely. But what do they want? And can you give them some of that? Yeah, really good points. As you were talking, what made me think was you know what, you probably need to do all of that. Yeah. It goes back to, well, who are you interviewing? So who are you sending the responses to? So classically, you would send them to your customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But are you also intending to send them to previous customers or customers that have never even or used potential your services at, at all? Yeah? yeah. Within each of those categories, there's a different approach that you potentially need to to make as well isn't it absolutely absolutely yeah all right so that's that's one idea is look at it from the customer's perspective what's their motivation another key idea is you want to make this easy um, you know you and i have talked about easy on several previous podcasts and that's because it's super important like it just it hassles speed bumps these derail people to an extent that is just massively out of proportion. So if something seems minorly inconvenient, that could be a hard stop on me participating in it at all. So are there ways that you can make it easy? And it seems like sending somebody an email with a link to a survey is the easiest thing it's possible to have, but there may be ways of even further streamlining that and and really get creative. So, I mean, could it be that like, if I'm just getting all these unwanted emails in my inbox every day, that one more in email is actually kind of a hassle. Is there a way to step back on the technology? Maybe if you if you mailed them a hard copy of the survey and then they could fill it out using pen and paper and just snap a picture of it and text that to your survey response, maybe that would actually be, in a, in a surprising and backward way, maybe that would be easier, right? Is there a QR code where they could, or, or is there a way of streamlining the survey itself to make it easy? But are you doing absolutely everything you can to make it as easy as possible for your customers to say yes to this? And I think building on that, it's also about where are they getting it from? So again, typically when we've done research like this in in a B2B situation, then the person they've got the relationship with, if they are encouraging them to, to complete it, that helps. I wouldn't necessarily say that that person should be the one that's sending out the message or whatever else, but because you don't want them to influence it. And probably not analyzing the data. Hopefully that would go to a kind of a third party within the organization. But turning around and saying, hey, you should be getting a note in about 
the survey in the next few days, it would be really important if you can complete it. I think uh, works. I think the other thing from Jane's pickle that makes me worry a little is you said, Jane, that this relies on high volumes of responses. Yeah. Okay. Now, you see, I don't like the word high. Okay. I'd rather say it should be the right volume of responses. So in other words, well, what's statistically valid? And it worries me a little, and maybe this is just my usual sort of antennae going up at the back here when it gets into this type of thing and politics within an organisation and everything else, which is people want to see thousands. And you go, well, that doesn't have to be statistically valid for, for that, does it? No, that, and that's a fair point. I was very happy to see. I understand now that you say that where you're, you're wary, because it could be that, that there's like enough data that you're getting in, but somebody in the organization is dismissing it because it's not tens of thousands, because it's only thousands. I worry more in the other direction where I've seen organizations who will get in like four surveys. You know? Yeah, getting like, yeah, yeah. like 2% response rates. And they're like, see, our, our customers are livid, um, you know, because you're only getting such a small. So I'm, I'm very happy that I was very happy to read that Jane is sensitive to the statistics of it. Yeah, I think people can be overly sensitive. So like you often see this in political polling where if there's a political poll that comes out that that a particular side doesn't like, they'll dismiss it and say, well, they only sampled like 600 people. How can they? Sure. And the reality is that they, the people who ran that that poll knew that 600 was enough to get a statistically valid response. And it, it came with like a, an error window around it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I like that, that you would consider both sides of that. So yes, Jane, get more data, you know, respect the statistics, don't overgeneralize from a small sample, get as many responses as you can. But I think Colin's point is good too, that in terms of influencing people within the organization, you don't want to make the, you know, the perfect, the enemy of the good, as the saying goes, where if you're getting enough data back to, to action on it, make sure that that people are moving on it. Yeah, and there's a couple of other things that I would, I would add as well, Jane. One of the key things for me, is people will do this, particularly in the B2B space, and goes back to what Ryan was saying at the beginning, which is if they're motivated, okay? What will motivate them? Well, one of the key things that's going to motivate them is if you do something with it, okay? And they see that you've done something with it, okay? So that means you have to communicate the actions that you've taken or going to take and they're not stupid. They, they know that you can't take 50 million actions, but communicate the actions you're going to take. And then them see that those actions are followed through and implemented. Okay. Because then guess what? In a year's time, when you ask them to contribute towards a survey, they're going to contribute a lot more. So, okay. So that's, that's the, the first thing that I, I would say. That is such a good one. Can you imagine being on the client side and filling out these surveys every month or every quarter and saying the same thing over and over again and how frustrating that would be? And eventually at some point you're going to stop and say, well, they're, like, they're not listening to me. Why am I bothering? Why am I spending time? I think that's a great, it's a great one. You and I fly Delta a lot, mate. Every time you fly, we all know you get a survey. And I think like you, I only fill it out if I've had a really good experience or a really bad experience. And that actually tags on to one of the other things that I think is important here, which is clearly don't bombard customers. 
but it doesn't mean to say that you you have to for, so for me you have to wait until you've got the right amount of data collected so what i'm trying to say is don't get fixated of we need these stats every month if it takes you 2 months to collect enough statistics to be mm. statistically valid it takes you 2 months okay so don't suddenly go i've got to collect all these all these statistics in a in a week's time or or whatever it may be So, Ryan, have you heard of the People's Choice Podcast Award? Sure. It's an opportunity for people to tell the industry which podcasts are their favorites. I assume you're asking for no particular reason at all right now. No particular reason other than to ask the listeners out there and our audience listening in to just go down below, click on the link, cast your vote. We're in the business section, the Intuitive Customer Podcast. It would really mean a lot to Ryan and I if you could make that vote. Thanks very much. It would. Thank you. Last couple of things I would just mention, which I think is not necessarily part of your question, but you alluded to it, which is gaining people to buy in on what they're doing. Oh, yeah. So how do you get people in the organization to buy in? So one of the key things for me is get them involved, okay? So get them involved in the design of the survey, get them involved in all of those other things. And don't necessarily do it as a big bang. You can also gradually increase the surveys that you're sending out to people and prove to them again that this stuff is is working and the insights are are worth it. But the other part then is, is it having the desired effect internally? Okay, so just like is the customer getting something out of this, is the organization getting stuff out of it? So has net promoter increased, have the revenues increased, has whatever whatever the problems, the number of complaints you've got declined. So people can then start to see that there's something in it for them internally as well. You didn't know I used my hands as much as this, did you? Oh, I, I suspect it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, you sound crazy even when we can't see your hands. It's just when we see the hands, it's very clear. Again, it's the same principle. Just now we're, we're flipping the camera to look inside Correct. instead of outside. Yeah. If there are people within the organization who are hesitant, what motivates them? Like, what is it that they need? So somebody who's coming in with a voice of, of the customer program can run into a lot of resistance because their role within the organization is going to be to constantly agitate and to tell people what they're doing wrong. That's going to be a problem. If instead you could go to a, a group within the organization and say, like, look, what are the problems you're facing right now with regards to you know customer engagement, customer experience? Like, what would help you make better decisions going forward? Can I serve you in that way? Like, can I provide the solution to you as opposed to coming in and saying, this is what the customers are saying you're doing wrong, you better fix it, right? So one of those is, is going to engender kind of partnership and enthusiasm, and one is going to re engender resistance. But again, it, it goes back to the same thing, which is understanding how to motivate other people by understanding what they what they want. And then also easy. Like, are you making it as easy as possible for people within the organization to get the data, to use the data, to update the data? Same principles, I think, can, can solve both sides of that problem, potentially. Great. So, Jane, I, I hope that's been of use. Let's move Ryan on to our second pickle, shall we? Pickle number two. Pickle two. I love two pickles. Yeah, you've got to love two pickles. 
So this one is a quite a simple one, but quite a difficult one, okay? And this comes from Elizabeth. And now, I'm not sure if that's the Queen, <laughs> uh, because it was her jubilee recently. Well, but I know I'm... she's a fan of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> she's uh, she's yeah. a, a full-time listener, I know. And, and she hasn't said Elizabeth II. Well, she I mean, she's humble about it. I don't know. If you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this comes from Lizzie. Uh, uh, Buck Palace. <laughs> Central London. I assume she just hand delivered this last time you were over for tea. She did. She just, yeah. I said, Colleen, come here, mate. She said, I know you're Wrote into it this on a people, so. <laughs> yeah. so her question is quite simple, which is how is inflation affecting people's ability to buy? Okay. And and you know, I guess tied into that is what do we need to do basically? So I went to my favorite place, which is uh, a test customer research. And the really interesting piece, and again, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for this. They've started to run a sentiment tracker on inflation. Mm. And they've got this both in the UK and the US. This is um, US results, okay? When people are asked, to what degree is inflation having an impact upon your life? Yeah. 24.9%, and this is current data, so when you get onto it, you may see that this is moves. That makes it even more interesting. So current data says that 24.9% of people say that inflation is is having an impact upon their lives, and it's a very high impact. And 26% of people say it's high, and 36% of people say it's moderate. So if you summarize that, over 50% of people are saying it's high or very high impact. So that's so interesting. I've, I've got the, the UK stats up here, okay, and it's a different distribution. So in, in the UK, the very high is, is 13%, and a high is 29.7, so almost 30%, and the moderate is 40, essentially 44%. So still a concern, but... The concern seems less acute in the U.S. Now, what would be interesting from understanding inflation and how it affects customer behavior is we could then take that data and then go and look at actual inflation data. It may be that inflation is less severe in the U.K. It may be, though, that just Americans are reacting to it differently than people in the U.K. are. Yeah, that's really interesting. By the way, we did a a whole session on inflation a little while ago. So we did a whole podcast on it. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's interesting because I subscribed to the New York Times and I was reading in the New York Times the other day, gas is has reached the giddy figures of $5 a gallon. Right, okay? right. Yeah. And in I thought, the US. yeah, in the US. I thought, that's really cheap, you know? Yes. Because in, in England, some parts of the world, <laughs> it's $11.23 because I calculated it the other day. It cost me £115, so that's probably about $130, $140 to fill my car up the other day. I think the interesting bit there is when you're comparing the two countries, it's it goes back to that, well, what's your expectation, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I'd wanted us to go with this conversation because you and I did talk about, uh, we did a whole podcast episode on inflation, and I don't want to like uh, repeat a lot of what we said there, but Obviously, this is a a huge concern and and people are very worried about it. And I think that that this question about 
responding to change is the big one. And so I don't want to oversimplify this a test data, but part of the difference between these two countries might be, I feel like for Americans, a lot of the concern about inflation right now is in gas prices. Now, other things are going up too. Food is more expensive. Rent is going up. So I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that. Like it's, it's a big thing. But the way that we buy gasoline is so, it makes price so salient. Like we, we pass by as we're driving, we pass by these giant price stickers on the side of the road. As you fill up with gas, like it's just so psychologically painful. You just, you watch the ticker spin over and increase that monetary value slowly. And you're just standing there watching it happen. It makes it very, very psychologically salient. And so it could be that that some of the sentiment difference across the two countries might be due to the expectations of paying for gas. Like I assume gas is, is also more expensive in the UK now than it was a year or two ago, but it was always higher. Oh yeah. I was going to say, it's always been about double. We've always found it amusing that everyone complains about gas when we're in the States and we're going, no, it's bloody cheap. Yeah, no, it, and it is. I normally fill up my suitcase with a, with a couple of <laughs> gallons just to take home. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just called arbitrage. You're just you're just being <laughs> rational at that point. Let me give you this other stat, which I thought was interesting. Are you having to cut back due to inflation? Okay, so this is US figures again. And 49% of people say that they are cutting back on non-essentials. So things like clothes and meals out. And... 35% of people say that they're having to cut back on essentials like, as you were just saying, food and, and fuel. So 80% of people that are, are cutting back on either non-essentials or essentials, that's forgetting things like luxury goods and everything else, which are obviously being cut back on holidays, etc. So it made me think, as I read this data, I, it made me think, what's the so what? What does that mean for companies? And it made me think that, A, we've covered a lot of this in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So definitely go back and have a look at that podcast. One of the things that we spoke about during the pandemic, which I still think is sort of a bit of human behavior, is if I was asked by an organization what they should do about this, my advice to them would be think about your customers for the long term. Don't make a knee-jerk reaction and just stick your price up and become very internally focused on your organization. Think about your customers because this is, an again, an opportunity for you to build that relationship with customers. I'm not saying don't put prices up because it's not necessarily you don't want to be uh, making a loss and then going out of business. But think about the impact on your customers. Communicate with them. And one of the other things that I, I think you, you, Ryan, would remember me saying, but I'm going to repeat, is we did some work a number of years ago with two organizations. One was a financial services organization who asked us to look at their, when you're having financial difficulties, what happens? How can you improve that experience? And the other organization was a hospital system. And they asked us to, believe it or not, look at their cancer experience. Mm. okay so what's the experience like when you get cancer and you go to this hospital and on both occasions and the analogy is the same with inflation on both occasions people said 
it wasn't that I was in financial difficulties or had cancer. It was the way that I was treated when I had those things. The way that you're treated when you have financial problems, the way that you are treated when you have cancer, the way that you are treated when inflation is pressing down upon you and you're having to cut back, that's the key. It's the way that you're treated. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I love that. And I think that's right. When you look at kind of the flip side of that, when you look at statistics about why people sue organizations, a lot of times it's just an, an emotional reaction. It's not that the company did something wrong or failed them in some way. It's that they failed them and then they didn't treat them with respect. They insulted them. They gave them a lot of runaround. And that was the damaging part. It was the way that the misstep was handled. That makes a ton of sense. Like I think right now, everybody to a greater or lesser extent is kind of having to, to grapple and cope with inflation. That's just kind of what's going on. And then the question is, how do you treat people who are are coping with that? And do you you treat them with dignity and respect and an and effort to kind of help solve their problems or do you treat them as yeah just a, an easy way to squeeze some money out of while you can? And do you give your customer what you want by coming onto a podcast and doing a video even though nobody's ever asked for one? The, the videos of us will, will provide no relief from inflation at all. <laughs> you know what? People are going to think we've got some type of uniform on because you're in black and I'm in, I'm in black. We've got the headphones and everything else on this. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, until you just admitted that, like people would have assumed that we coordinated <laughs> and that we're very on top of our game as opposed to flying by the seat of our pants and not really having any idea what's going on. <laughs> no change there then. So we hope those two pickles were of use. With two pickles, do we get to call it a pickle salad? Like, is that enough? Is that enough? Oh, that's right. Maybe we should have had something in the in the middle, <laughs> and we could have had a pickle sandwich. There you go. Maybe we should have started the show by saying, "Could we have extra pickle, please?" Ah, oh, that would have been better. It would have been. You live and learn. We'll do it next time. Maybe you can title the the episode that "Extra Pickles." <laughs> Extra pickles, yeah. The intuitive customer now with extra pickles. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you should be a marketing professor. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I should not be a video podcaster. That's for sure. But there may be other things I can do. I've got to tell you, mate. That's the first time I've ever agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, just a reminder. It would be really great if you could vote for us in the People's Choice Podcast Award. The voting is only in the month of July. The link is in the show notes, and it really doesn't take long to cast your vote. And it would really mean a lot to both Ryan and I. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.